The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What did I tell you guys about Nick Batum? Yeah, man. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes things are just, you have to act on them. And this is why we sort of are in constant rotation with those last couple slots on the roster. You want to be able to have availability to make the move on the guy who has that great potential. Batum was that guy. Remember, last year he was top 65 for the Clippers before Marcus Morris came back. And Kawhi was obviously there and kind of squeezed him out. And he was still hanging on with like, I don't know. He missed some time. He had, I believe he had COVID or if it wasn't COVID, it was a different illness. Did he have pneumonia last? No, it was, I think it was COVID. And then he had some injuries and he just wasn't the same after that. But he looks right and he looks good. And the Clippers, they're going to utilize him. So that's cool. It, it isn't always going to happen like this on the same night, but a bunch of our guys that we were waiting on finally bust out in a big way. Jaron Jackson Jr., who we spent a bunch of time talking about yesterday, had his first truly large game of the season, and it can be better. But in one game, one good game, he went from number 83 to number 61. Overnight. That's all it took. So we are legitimately, and that's the, the insanity of week one, we are three good games from these various guys away from them being right where we need them to be. No big show opening rant today. We got a giant, giant Wednesday card to review. A not-so-giant Thursday card to look ahead to. Five games. It's not nothing, but it's, it's not much. And there were a lot of plot lines in the Wednesday game. So let's dive right on in. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'll give you the full tour of what's going on around here after we do a little bit of work on yesterday's card. Portland lost at Cleveland. You know, I don't know what the Blazers were doing as a three-point favorite in this game. Portland is is a mess right now because Dame isn't shooting and CJ's cooled off. They're lucky Norman Powell's been good lately, and I mean very good. I mean, that's another one of our guys. Norman Powell, it, the, Wednesday was a great night. For Dan Bespris style rosters. I hope you guys felt it the way I did. Because it was like the rising tide evening of the season so far. I had a team. And I can pull them up while we're talking. Just as a sort of a reference point. That is, you know, bottom third in games played. And was in 11th place. This is Roto. As recently as like four days ago. And now that team is in fifth. And still far fewer games than any of the teams played in front of it. So all of a sudden now, that team went from like, I don't want to say bottom feeding, because again, I, I tend to lag behind in games played, but woof, rocket boosting up the board in one game. I think it was the, the, it was the day last week where Al Horford and Kelly Olynyk had a giant game on the same night. I'm pretty sure that was a night that that team jumped 11 points and then another nine. Yes. I mean, this is like, I don't get to do podcasts where I'm just this genuinely excited, but I think the only guy I had on a few different rosters that was kind of bad yesterday that I started 
was Ricky Rubio. He was the only one, and he was in this ball game. I'm not worried about it. He played 31 minutes, so the time is there. He just couldn't hit a shot. He was 0 for 7, still got his 7 assists, still got his steal. It just wasn't falling for him, and that's okay. Uh, Lowry Markinen in COVID protocols, as we mentioned, so that really opened things up for other guys. Kevin Love, Markinen, Isaac Okoro, all those guys are out right now. So it's going to be up to the remaining crew. Darius Garland looked much better, sort of allowing himself. And he still didn't take that many shots. This was a really nice, efficient game for him. So that moved him up the board. And you guys know I'm not a big Garland guy, but he went from 140 range to 110 range in one ball game. That's all it takes. Jared Allen has been uh, a revelation at scoring the basketball this year. He's shooting 71%. Still can't really get the blocks to go. But it's hard to complain about 24 and 17. Dylan Windler was decent, but we're not going to look into that too much. Because, look, it's about minutes played. And in this game, Rubio, Mobley, Sexton, Allen, Garland. Those are the five guys that played minutes, so those are the five guys you're rolling with. On the Portland side, uh, we did see Larry Nance hit 21 minutes. That was now, that's a season high for him. Only got five rebounds, two assists, and one steal. But it's trending in the right direction. You know, I'll say this. The upside with him is good, but it's not going to happen overnight. And the reason that that talking point is important is that we're going to have time. They're going to telegraph it. So if you want to drop Nance, I'm okay with it, provided we're basically just watching his first half every single time the Blazers go. If you drop him, you need to watch every minute, basically, that Nance is on the floor. Because the second that Portland's like, hmm, maybe we should use you in this other spot, and his minutes go from 19, 20 up to 23, or if they inch up to 24, or whatever it might be, that's the moment. You can't wait around. You don't want to be caught with your pants down not not able to get him back. But right now, nobody's going to pick him up if you drop him, because he's not playing very much. And even when he is, his stats are fine, but he doesn't score... So it has to be multiple steals and rebounds and passing, and that's really hard to do in limited action. So I give you the green light if you'd like to drop him, but you got to watch him like a hawk. Rob Covington took three shots in this ballgame and still had a pretty good fantasy line. And I don't know what's going to happen there. I'll admit, it's the same kind of thing. But again, he's another guy who went from top 180 to top 135 in one good ballgame. But we need more usage out of him than we're getting right now. Uh, Steals and blocks trending in the right direction. This game, he got four combined. Seven rebounds is good, but, I mean, three shots in 30 minutes. There there has to be a little bit more. Portland, figure it out. Anyway, you're holding on to Covington, by the way, if that wasn't immediately evident. Pacers starting to play better all of a sudden. They've looked downright competent in their last two ballgames, I believe now. Yes, they've won two in a row, and they've looked pretty good doing it, actually. Karis LeVert uh, has been, obviously, a very large part of that. Malcolm Brogdon came back, nearly triple-doubled. Chris Duarte still got 34 minutes, despite the team being mostly healthy. No TJ Warren, but we have no idea what his status is. I'm just going to assume he's gone at this point until we hear anything otherwise. Demonis Sabonis wasn't even very good in this game, and uh, they got enough. The storyline on the Indiana side, uh, TJ McConnell, only 17 minutes. He actually looked pretty good in his nine first-half minutes, and uh, they're going they're going big on the Brogdon thing right now, it appears. So 
Uh, on the McConnell front, I, I I do think that if you drop him, someone might pick him up because he does go assists and steals, and those are really uh, coveted categories, particularly passing. So if you can hang on to him, I think I would. The upside is there, and we just need to see him inch back into those 20s in minutes. Is it going to happen? I don't know. But it, it comes down to that same mental struggle where, okay, well, what if I drop this guy? What's the, what's the worst-case scenario? Worst-case scenario is he starts rolling into that 75 value from last year, and you don't get him back because someone else scoops him. Best-case scenario is, you know, I don't know. There are guys floating around on the waiver wire, but, like, Nick Batum might be the, the one that sticks. We don't know. A lot of these guys won't. He might not. Try to hang on if you can. Knicks didn't shoot the ball very well, just 41% in the ball game, and pretty much everybody was to blame on the New York side. I don't think any none of the regulars had a decent ball game. Kemba cooled off. R.J. Barrett was okay, but had all of his efficiency stuff. Randall's cooled off after his quick start. Mitchell Robinson got three blocks. We'll call that a win, I guess, on the New York side. Toronto beat Washington 109-100. That's another team that's starting to play better. Raptors now 6-3. and three. They've won five games in a row, and the last couple, they've looked pretty robust doing so. Because remember, they beat the Pacers, then the Magic, and then the Pacers again, and they squeezed by in two of those three wins. But the last two, nine-point road win over the Knicks, nine-point road win over the Wizards, two teams playing relatively well. That, I think, has to make Toronto feel pretty good. Freddie Van Fleet has got it going now. We knew that was going to be a key to them kind of waking things up. He's up to number 38 on the year all of a sudden it doesn't take much guys early in the year OG, another nice ball game um you might argue the minutes are a tad on the high side for him to survive the season at this point same story for van vliet who played 43 minutes in this game that's not a sustainable model gary trent good again three more steals darndest thing svi mikhailiuk filling in for scotty barnes right now um still don't trust it and then Precious Achua, who has no offensive game whatsoever, but his hustle right now is keeping him on the floor, soaked up most of the center minutes. Chris Boucher up to 17 minutes in this ballgame. I was kind of excited. He played about 11 in the first half, but for the second time in three days, he only got six second-half minutes. I'm giving him about a week and a half more, but the temperature's getting turned up on that dude. We need to make sure we give him every opportunity. He is that kind of guy. There is no guarantee that this thing hits. As I've said before, it may or may not work out. It doesn't take much to get him to fantasy value. But the guys that you're picking up don't have anywhere near his ability to put up fantasy numbers. So that's why we just have to squeeze it a little bit longer. And if it fails, it fails. But we got to see it through. If you're sitting on Boucher, I've got him in a couple of spots. Again, he was that guy that I sort of got, I don't say I got talked into it, but then he just kept sort of falling. I thought, oh, I guess he's going a little bit too far here. And, you know, maybe he's falling because he's a little dinged up. And I had no real intention of drafting him. And then I ended up with him in a few spots as this weird, like, seventh round kind of injured guy with a ton of upside coming into the season. And so far, it hasn't hit. But I honestly don't care because everybody else is so damn good yesterday. Bradley Beal, he's getting it figured out now. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. Slowly but surely, Beal's number 30 now. It always evens out. Daniel Gafford, 20 minutes. He's back up 
pretty close now to where he needs to be. Nine points, four boards, couple of steals. No blocks in this one, but that's okay. Montrez was good. Kyle Kuzma hurt his arm and left, and I don't know that it changed the outcome of this ballgame at all. He was having his worst game of the year. There's sort of... I, I, the Rui Hachimura thing hasn't been talked about very much. We know he's dealing with some uh, mental struggles, but he's back with the team, so maybe trying to get himself into game shape, and I guess if Kuzma was out, that would be an opportunity to maybe work him back into the mix. <laughs> if you guys heard some... <clears throat> light squealing in the background. Everybody's fine over here. Um, on the Rui front, I don't think I'm adding him. I, I don't know what the timeline here is. It's still indefinitely. And he has some appeal in points leagues, certainly. But category leagues, we know he has his limitations, and it's going to be a minute. So presumably Kuzma not out too long. We don't have the report on that yet at the time of recording this podcast. I, I don't... I don't see a reasonable path for Hachimura to get to, Mura to get to fantasy value. Al Horford, brilliant again. Possibility he sits out the second half of a back-to-back, but damn, has he been good for Boston so far. Jalen Brown, very good. Time Lord, fine. Marcus Smart, fine. Jason Tatum, not good. He's in a weird funk right now. He hasn't shot the ball at all to start the year, shooting 38% from the field, just 75% at the free throw line. A lot of things going wrong. He's... He's a weird one because I don't know that you can necessarily buy low. You can try. I I just don't get the feeling that anybody has given up on him the way that people have begun to sort of give up. uh, Even on someone like Dame, who, you know, the rumor of an abdominal injury uh, is looming over everything, and it's really brought down his, his price tag in trades. I don't think that's happened with Tatum, even though I I might argue he's been worse. I know Dame's ranked a little bit lower, but just from like how they look on the basketball court, these two guys just look beyond out of it. But hard to complain, I suppose, when you play against the team here, Orlando, that put up 79 blistering points in the ballgame. Wendell Carter Jr. survived it. Mobamba survived it. Chumo Kiki was okay in 18 and a half minutes. I think that'll continue to, to trend upward. Cole Anthony, heater cooling off there. Four for 18 shooting. And this is sort of the other side of that coin. This is the fear that goes into Cole Anthony's stuff. He's still number 50 overall, but you have to know that he was never going to shoot as well as he did for the whole duration. Luckily, he's been kind of overwhelming that with other stuff. So I think you probably stick with it. If this if this turns into a, a prolonged cold spell then you could potentially move on. And then, of course, the Jalen Sugg stuff. We know this is going to be an up-and-down season for him. More down than up here at the front end. Uh, I don't have the patience to sit on that all year. Maybe you guys do. I don't. DeMar DeRozan. My goodness. What a revelation he's been. I know they lost this ball game, but DeRozan's number 15 in nine-cat leagues right now. Lonzo staying solid. He's number 36. Zach Levine, 17 right now. On the heels of his crazy free throw shooting. I mean, everything's going to sort of hit its its regular marks at some point along the way. Vooch is the one guy in Chicago that's slumping. And he now, that creates an incredible buy low opportunity. He's still going to get to do plenty as they figure this thing out. But the fact that he isn't, he wasn't even really involved on offense. And, I mean, when they look back at this game, that's potentially why they were unable to get things going. But also he was dealing with, with Joel Embiid. By the way, doing a pretty good job on him. 
Sixers side, I said it, I've said it a few times. I'm just kind of getting tired of trying to figure out the right angles with this club. Seth Curry's a go. Embiid, when he's starting, is obviously a go. Uh, George Neong played better, but I can't trust him. Furkan Korkmaz, I can't really trust him either. I, you guys know I'm not even really in the Tyrese Maxey business. Matisse Thybulle's the one that's kept his head above water in all of this. He's number 54 in nine-category leagues, averaging four defensive stats a ball game. Starting here with Tobias Harris out now, and in addition to Ben Simmons, there's just like where there's nowhere else to 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 put him. You gotta play Thibault and you gotta play him a ton. So now the answer to this question becomes really simple. If he's a free agent, you pick him up and you play the crap out of him because he's gonna be getting four defensive stats every ball game. And I had him in a bunch of places, but I got tired of the. Well, the lack of all other things, and I don't know. I just, for some reason in my mind, I was like, well, surely Ben Simmons is going to come back before anything else happens. And now with Tobias Harris in protocols, that kind of shook things up a little bit. Now, didn't it? Anywho, thigh bulls ago. Brooklyn beat Atlanta 117-108. Hawks much better at home so far this year, but they did get some fantasy numbers, so that's all that we really care about. Bogdan cooled off, but DeAndre Hunter finally had his first big ball game of the year. Nine for, uh, excuse me, 10 for 11 shooting from the field. Six of those three pointers. Downside, of course, here is that if he's not making all of his shots, this is a pretty empty and ugly fantasy line. It was all three pointers and almost nothing else. So I'm not at all bullish on him, but Hunter having a good ball game shooting and Kevin Herter coming out of the woodwork to participate meant Cam Reddish disappeared and he was always going to be uh, a dicey proposition. Joe Harris got it going, hit six three-pointers. All of his makes were from downtown, but, yeah, not buying into that. Harden, double-double. Durant, big ball game. Patty Mills had, like, a brief wake-up. Bruce Brown, not really doing enough. I thought he'd rebound more, and it hasn't really been there. And then Blake Griffin got 31 minutes in this game, 7-7-5. Seven, seven, There's a, a clamoring for more LaMarcus Aldridge. I think the fear there is that his body can't really handle it anymore, and so with the split... You just leave it alone. Clippers, this is one of the ones we've been waiting on. A few different pieces here. Reggie Jackson finally woke up. This is, again, this is the reason you keep sticking with it because his volume was so ridiculously high that all we needed was for him to go on a little bit of a warm shooting spell and the whole thing just becomes right. By the way, Reggie Jackson, number 123 right now, while shooting 35.5% from the field and 78% at the free throw line. Both of those way below career mark. As that thing trends up with the volume he's on right now, he cruises inside the top 100 easily. Paul George was great again. I think he might be the number one guy still. Yeah, PG's number one right now, ahead of Jokic and Jimmy Butler and Steph, although Steph is playing as I record this podcast. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Nick Batum, of course, opened the podcast by mentioning Batum. I get it. I know. Like, I just talked about DeAndre Hunter hitting a ton of three-pointers and that being the source of his value, but Batum does other stuff. He boards. He generally assists, although in this ballgame he was the recipient of them. Gets steals. Gets blocks sometimes. I have very high hopes for Nick Batum. Clippers have looked better with him involved a little bit more. Not that they've been 
world beaters or anything, but they've won two in a row, and a lot of that's been Batum playing better and more. Ivica Zubac got more run because Cat was on the other side, but I wouldn't read too much into that. And then Terrence Mann had a better shooting game, but I wouldn't read too much into that either. Minnesota side, we were looking to see if Malik Beasley could carve himself out a role. Uh, Patrick Beverly was a sort of, I don't say surprise announcement, but he was a surprise go at the last minute in this ballgame, and you had to know he was going to have a little chip on his shoulder against the Clippers. Nearly triple-double. That would have been a great spot start had I been in front of my computer when it was happening. Beverly's looked pretty good, actually. If he's truly healthy now, with D'Angelo Russell out, he's... In, rather than Beasley, he now is the big winner. It's Beverly. Um, the, like, you know, we his numbers so far this year are actually pretty good. If, understanding, of course, that this the small sample size means that other dudes are probably going to pass him and his stuff is going to, like, he's not going to shoot 52%. But, in starters minutes, if his 23.5 bench minutes suddenly become 29, starting with guys that are pretty good at scoring the basketball and getting him more open looks, it really could be like a 9.5 rebound, 6 assist, 1 steal, 1 block, 2 three-pointers kind of guy here for the short term. So I think you've got to get Pat Beverly on your roster to fill that kind of, I don't call it a long streamer, but D'Angelo Russell's not a quick healer, so we'll call it a medium streamer. And uh, I think you you have to strongly consider it. I wouldn't drop a Nick Batum, who does seem to have more staying power. He's doing his work while the rest of the Clippers are basically around him. But to me, Pat Beverly, he's barely rostered. He's only 10% rostered. Missed just one ball game for his calf injury. And prior to that, was putting up really well-rounded fantasy lines. By the way, these two teams play again tomorrow. So, opportunity for a little Minnesota revenge, perhaps. Should be a fun one, at, at the very least. Minnesota's a pretty fun team to watch. Clippers trying to get up and down right now. Uh, you know, maybe he sits out back-to-backs. We know Beverly just sort of isn't healthy. He's not a guy I could advocate in head-to-head, per se. But games cap roto format, you find out he's starting and going to play these kind of minutes, you roll him out there. It's a good option. Memphis beat Denver 108-106. I thought the Nuggets would take this ball game. It ended up as a good one. Tight game. Jaron Jackson Jr., big one. He popped off. 22-8-2, three blocks, five three-pointers. Such is the beginning, perhaps, of something delightful. Will Barton kept his foot on the gas. I don't know how long this is going to last, but we got to just keep going with it. He's number 62 right now. Jokic was very good. Aaron Gordon was uh, not so great. Michael Porter Jr. was a little bit better. He double-doubled, 12-11 and 11 with a steal, missed his free throw, didn't have any three-pointers, didn't have any assists, so it's a pretty empty line. But at least when we compare it to how things had been going for him, this was a very small step in the right direction, on top of the fact that he did make six out of 12 shots. But the Nuggets, they got to find an offense that's not so Barton-centric. I know he's pretty good in this ballgame, but that's not their best ticket. Steven Adams got 30 minutes. I think you can chalk some of that up to Nikola Jokic. He'd been trending down a little bit prior to the last two games with Denver. And so I think there is a bit of a matchup thing going on there. 
Dallas beat San Antonio 109-108. Another barn burner. Jalen Brunson, 31-10. and We mentioned it on either yesterday or the day before podcast. If he's starting, he's a go. If he's coming off the bench, he's probably not a go. Reggie Bullock was out. Kristaps Porzingis out. Maxi Kleba still out. When Porzingis comes back, right now at least, it seems like Brunson might be the odd man out. Unless they move Dwight Powell to the bench and run Kristaps at the five, but that's not what they were doing to start the year. But Brunson's been playing so well, I don't know how they can curtail his role now. And at the same time, we've seen him pull massive disappearing acts when he comes off the bench. He's been so good, but even with this giant ball game, he's still sitting outside the top 100 because of the disappearing acts, because he's actually not that great of a free throw shooter, because he doesn't really take three-pointers as a high-percentage shooting guard. And I know he had two steals in this ballgame and 10 rebounds, but those are wild anomalies. He doesn't get defensive stats, and he doesn't really rebound or assist all that much. Like, a little bit, but not much. But, at the moment, although I know I know we heard that Dallas is hoping to have KP back for the next ballgame, you probably want to think about putting Brunson on your roster as, could there be staying power here? Because this kind of ballgame was insane. I think I still value Batum highest among them, but I would put Brunson above someone like a Pat Beverly, who's likely to slide back into that 24-minute roll once the Timberwolves are healthy again. Matisse Thibel uh, probably falls more in there with a guy like Beverly, who is doing most of his damage as a fill-in. Brunson also. There's a lot of these guys where there's there's a question mark. Is this all because of fill-in? Is some of it because of it? Is, is almost none of it because of it? I would argue that of those guys, again, excluding Batum, because he's largely doing... I know Marcus Morris is out, but uh, Morris is going to mostly put the squeeze on the center minutes, and you can see they're carving time out for Batum right now. So that one, to me, he has the highest percentage likelihood of staying power. And then between guys like Brunson, uh, Patrick Beverly, and... Whatever the hell else I just said a second ago. Matisse Thibel. We know Thibel is going to be great while Tobias Harris is out. And Doc Rivers said Tobias has COVID not great. He's feeling pretty crummy. So, like, you're talking about at least two weeks for Thibel. And he was doing okay, even with only Ben Simmons out. So he steps back into a role that was productive, but not quite so guaranteed. Beverly is, to me, the lowest on that rung. Yes, he was putting up fantasy value prior to D'Angelo Russell going down, but it was predicated on him shooting 51% and somehow averaging 8, 5, and 6 in half a ball game. That wasn't going to stick either. So Brunson probably, maybe in between Thibault at the top of that board, then Brunson and then Beverly towards the bottom of those guys. Spurs side, we were keeping a watch to see what would happen with Jakob Pertl out. Thad Young got 22 minutes, which is probably about too short of what he would need to be the guy we'd want. DeJounte Murray was very good. Again, Devin Vassell had a nice scoring game, but didn't do a whole lot else. Kind of lucked into a couple of blocks there, which is good, but not something I think we can count on every night. Derek White, solid again, and that's about as far as it went. I know Drew Eubanks drew the start, but there was never any hope he was going to put up fantasy value. He just doesn't have the game for it. Did have three blocks. Kind of an interesting little twist there. 
but you're not starting Drew Eubanks, and you're probably not starting Thad Young either. As much as I would love that to be a thing, it's probably not going to be a thing because, again, he needs a couple more minutes. We shall see. The thing about this type of fill-in, and Thad is at the bottom rung of all these fill-in guys we've been talking about, the thing about the fill-in is that in head-to-head, you might want to make a move on it because, you know, you use your weekly move, then you can just plug them in there and you know you're going to get something decent. I think about this more from a Roto Games cap or even a weekly league standpoint, which is I need to see success from someone before I'm confident dumping them into my lineup and using up a Roto Games cap on it. Nightcap, New Orleans at Sacramento and Charlotte at Golden State. But before we tell you about the nightcap, this is my opportunity mid-show to remind you guys to please rate and review the podcast. If you've been enjoying what you've been listening to, this is show 35 out of 36 in a row. No weekends, no breaks. Tomorrow, finally, we get to the end of this 36 days in a row with a show stretch. I need it. Uh, please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. There's a bunch of things I want to rattle off here real quick. First, on the, the reviews, if you can drop a five-star review, write something funny, I'll make sure to read it on air. I will be forever grateful. Two, uh, looking for a show host for the Brooklyn Nets podcast here at HoopBall and our daily sports betting show. Bug me on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com if you have interest in running either of those pods. Built-in audiences, opportunity for growth, and if things get really, if, if things really pick up with those, there is actually an opportunity for monetization on those pods. But I don't really want to dangle that carrot because it's going to take some elbow grease to get anything to that threshold. But look, like I'd be lying if I didn't say that one of them was probably closer than the other. I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want that to be the thing. Anyway, hit me up. Uh, this I, I, these things have this this great foundation and we just need to make sure that they don't drift off into the wilderness so bug me at dan vespers on twitter that's d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s also make sure to get something from our buddies over at manscaped.com that's promo code hoopball20 to get 20 percent off and free shipping on whatever you so desire at manscaped.com and the nightcap last couple of things we need to worry about before we can Flip the page of this almanac. Start looking at the next couple of games. Just a couple here. Just two. New Orleans in Sacramento. That was a difficult one for the Pels. Playing in Phoenix last night. Traveling not ultra far. Phoenix to Sacramento is not that crazy of a journey. But it's also not super short. So the mere fact that they were in this thing for a while, I thought was kind of a small victory. This was basically a schedule loss for the Pels. Although everything right now is a scheduled loss for the Pelicans. And a lot of the regulars didn't really have much in their legs. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was fine. Josh Hart was not very good. But he deserves, I believe, to be on your roster right now. He's got a whole bunch of opportunity, and he's an energy guy. So if the team doesn't have energy, well, he's going to be one of the first to go. Devontae Graham stayed above water in this ballgame. He was kind of the one Pelicans guy who didn't soil themselves a little bit. And it's also kind of remarkable how fast players move when they don't have an exceptional ball game. Jonas Valanciunas was fine at best in this one, and he dropped from like 6 to 11, which, again, you know, what was I guess he was like 9 before that, but in any event, guys move fast around here. One bad game. The John Morant stuff and... 
Like, it's really, it's crazy how fast players move when there's just one thing that doesn't tick off. Now, luckily for JV, his stuff was fine. His was like a tread water kind of game. But just be aware that on the buy low, sell high stuff, it moves quick. It really does. So you kind of have to jump on things while you have the opportunity. Sacramento side, uh, Rashawn Holmes got ejected. So don't worry too much about that. He still actually had an okay ball game. But again, this is, a, I think, a pretty good example. He wasn't very good, not for any reason of his own, but he went from being a first-round guy to the middle of the second round. It just doesn't take much. Tyrese Halliburton has to be the story of the night, though. 20 points, four boards, seven assists, four steals, two blocks, a three-pointer, six of 11 shooting, seven of eight at the free-throw line. Everything about that line screams outstanding. Darren Fox was a little bit better in this ballgame, which is something because he's been particularly bad. He's still outside the top 200 so far this year, and we tried to warn you guys on this podcast that he was getting overdrafted based on the team basically saying, whatever, do whatever the hell you want for like the last month, last season. And that's not who they are right now. They're trying to play and to some degree successfully playing team basketball. And Halliburton, he's on his way to probably being the best player on this team. That's nuts, but it's not that nuts. There was a weird disconnect with him, and I don't talk about the Kings very much in fantasy-wise because it's they've basically been four starters and Buddy Heald in fantasy stuff, and all that stuff stays relatively true here. Heald is still number 60 after a down ball game. You're still starting De'Aaron Fox because you know he's not going to finish outside the top 200. Even if I'm down on him, I'm not that far down on him. And then Harrison Barnes, who's just been amazing, he's still number 14, but again, it doesn't take much. It's weird. Like, this was a really good game for him, and he still dropped one or two slots. Because staying in the first round is freaking hard. You have to be doing something extraordinary to stay up there. But that's not even the point. Point of this is Tyrese Halliburton, who's now number 37 in 9-cat on a per-game basis. 13 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, a 3-pointer, 1.4 steals, 1.4 blocks. from the field, 83% at the free throw line. And a lot of people are looking at his blocks and discussing whether or not 1.4 is sustainable. It's not. It's not. He's on a pretty good tear right now. Averaged just half a block a game last season, and that might trend up a little bit. It's possible his minutes are going to trend up. His activity is going to be different this year. He's going to get bigger and stronger, which sort of works the opposite direction, but he did have half a block a game last season, so he wasn't bad in that regard, and he was around this same mark in steals last year as well, so that could easily hold, or with the additional playing time, steals might even go up a tiny bit from 1.3, 1.4, could get as high as 1.5 or 1.6. We don't fully know. Assists also trending up, rebounds trending up just from being on the floor more, Field goal percent down ever so slightly, mostly because his jumper's not falling, but whose is right now? So a lot of what you're seeing from Halliburton so far is very sustainable, and I actually think prone to increase. I think his field goal attempts go up. He's at 11.3 right now, but over his last four ball games, 12, 14, 16, 11... And in that last 11, he had eight free throws. So his usage is actually trending up after the first three games of the year where it was fairly low, fourth game of the year where it was kind of medium. And then the last four, he's been kind of a bigger part 
of what the Kings are doing. His three-pointers have actually trended down, which to me indicates his field goal percent probably goes up. I don't know what the, the proper trade-off there is, whatever, what do we actually want it to be. I probably prefer a better field goal percent and slightly less contribution in the three-point department, but we don't have say on that. It's probably going to level itself off. And just simply the fact that he's out there more, he's orchestrating more, he's a primary instead of a secondary, I think the assists probably trend up towards six. But more than anything, it's about the usage rate. It's about the fact that over the last four games, his role has increased, and there's sort of no real reason for anything on that front to change. You know, we're talking about a guy in his just his second year who was very good in his rookie campaign and was already hovering in that like 55 to 60 range last year while not really being a focal point. Over those last uh, four games, he's averaging 16 points, four boards, five and a half assists, and then the good defensive stats, only one three-pointer. Free throw is actually, oddly, a tiny bit lower because he had a game in there where he missed one or two. Uh, but I, I really don't see a reason why he couldn't be inside the top 40 pretty much the rest of the way. The block's coming down. That'll drop him back a little bit. But again, as the usage goes up, if the field goal percent comes with it back where it was, or if the three-pointers come back up, those things kind of counterbalance one another. People were upset with him. He was like number 62 before this big ball game. He was getting drafted at about 55. He was basically right on his marker, and people were super upset, like the season was a massive flop. And now I think people are going to be really happy. All this tells me is that people are crazy. Warriors thumped the Hornets. Boy, Golden State is playing some good defense these days. They, I don't know what the hell they did this offseason. Maybe they just needed a, a, a deep rest or something. But, like, Steph, Steph had plenty of rest. He didn't play for a season and a half. Draymond can't shoot free throws anymore, but otherwise he's been fine. Wiggins was already pretty good defensively. This team seemingly got better by eliminating Kelly Oubre Jr., but I don't think we can put it on one particular personnel move because otherwise things are relatively static. This is a big game for Jordan Poole. You know, I, I don't know that anybody really is going to care that much. It, it vaulted him back up to top 90 after he had fallen back into that 120-130 range. Whatever. Like, you can keep rumbling along with it and hope that you get one of these games every two weeks and that'll keep him at top 90. I don't care. He's a low upside play with Clay Thompson... Now, in the probably under two months from coming back, I don't care. You guys all tried to ram Jordan Poole down my throat during the preseason when he was just lighting everybody up while no one played defense, and I said, and I almost can quote it, I was like, that's not regular season defense. And then this game, he played like it was preseason defense. But that's just not how it works. You're not going to get that every night. He doesn't have that type of game. He happened to do more on a night where Steph didn't really do all that much. Which, by the way, also interesting little footnote on all this, dropped Steph Curry to number four on a per-game basis this year. Paul George, Nikola Jokic, Jimmy Butler, Steph Curry. That's your top four right now. Love seeing Paul George and Jimmy Butler in there. Two big-time fantasy NBA Today targets. Aiming for those guys on the turn, remember? PG, Jimmy Butler, those guys on the turn. And Bradley Beal, who's like in the 20s now, he's the underperformer of that bunch, but not, all, not by that much. Still... You know, the fact that we were aiming for Paul George and Jimmy Butler and they're one in three, that's that feels pretty good. 
Otherwise, on the Warriors' side, not a whole lot. Wiggins is still sort of finding his footing. He'll be fine. I don't call him a buy low. I, I just I can't because I, he doesn't. He's not going to go that high. He's right at 99. He might go as high as like 75 before Clay comes back when he does gather himself. But he's not shooting the ball well right now, and his blocks are low. And I think that has to do with him coming back from injury. On the Charlotte side, Miles Bridges, he did it again. 32 points, five threes, nine boards, two steals, two blocks. This is crazy. He's number six, and he's just solidifying it every day. That is really bonkers. Here's the thing. As people start to see this more and more, and this is what I talked about with Adam on Tuesday's show, it's that weighted perception. How much is it going to take before people start to say maybe he is X instead of Y? I don't think anybody believes he's a first-rounder, but I believe we're probably at a point now, just from sort of gauging the temperature on social media, where you could probably trade Miles Bridges for a top 35 guy. And you probably should. Or you roll the dice, because every single time he goes out and he does a game like this, he inches farther up the board in people's minds by just staying where he's at. What a weird phenomenon. Anyway, great ball game for him. Gordon Hayward, better game here. He's yeah, he's bouncing back and forth. He's number 72, which is not far from where I had him on our board. We were in that 60-some-odd range. Figured there'd be a step back this season, just with more guys around him. The only guy that uh, was a massive disappointment on the Hornets yesterday was Terry Rozier, who shot just uh, one, two for 12, couldn't get the stuff to drop, and next one he'll be fine. P.J. Washington extended his elbow, hyperextended, sorry, his elbow. We don't have a timeline on his return yet, but uh, because it happened relatively late in the ballgame, it didn't change the box score that much. What it will do for the next couple of ballgames is it'll make Mason Plumley a pretty reasonable stream target because he'll get, I would think, 28 minutes coming up here. They don't have other real center options. Jalen McDaniels could slide up there, but that's about it. So you're going to see the Hornets go real small for stretches and then plumbly for much more of the ball game. I don't know what Mason's ownership looks like in your fantasy leagues. He's relatively heavily rostered in mine, largely because of those two games where he put up giant numbers when PJ was out the first time. And I mean, that's a relatively reasonable target for him as well. So pick him up if he's available. He's not super available. He's 65% rostered, but that, you know, that... Doesn't mean he is in yours. Flip him on a spot. Something. Uh, And that's it from yesterday's card. So that'll wrap up Giant Wednesday. That was kind of the first really, really, really big Wednesday. 11? Had we done 11? Did we get an 11 last week? I don't remember. suppose it doesn't really matter all that much. Anyway, on to the next stuff. Just five games on the card for this uh, quieter but not ultra-quiet Thursday. Philly on the back-to-back in Detroit. I'm going to guess, and again, we're recording this early, I'm going to guess Joel Embiid is probably going to skip the back-to-back against a team Philly should be able to beat, which means if you've got Andre Drummond, potentially this could be your time. For Detroit, if you want to not start Isaiah Stewart or Kelly Olynyk, I'm okay with that. Although, again, if there's no Embiid then the foul trouble stuff is not quite uh, as big an ordeal. Andre Drummond is going to be in there banging people around and getting rebounds, but he is sort of a 
guardable player, at least on defense, from a, you know, not that amazing offensively standpoint, just a gigantic dude who's big and strong and fast and can get near to the rim, but doesn't actually shoot all that great once he gets there. Uh, Not a whole lot of other stuff with Detroit. We're just sort of waiting for Cade to get his footing and see what he might be this year. Utah at Atlanta. Hawks uh, much better at home than on the road, so we'll see how this one shakes out, but not much fantasy-wise to dig into here. Boston on the back-to-back. Will Al Horford play? They certainly need him, but this might also be a scheduled loss kind of game. Going into Miami, the Heat have been trucking people. Opportunity maybe to just give everybody a rest. We'll see. We'll see. Keep an eye on the fantasy stuff there, but nothing that really moves the needle. For Miami, I feel like every game is an opportunity for Tyler Hero not to be as great as he was the night before. He's been keeping it up so far, and he's hanging out at that top 60 range. But if you can get something for him, do it. Houston played better in their last one against the Lakers. Let's see if they can keep that going in Phoenix. This is going to be, at least from a going up into a defense standpoint, Phoenix's will likely be better. Although for the Suns, they haven't really been locked in on that side of the ball yet. We're going to just sort of ask ourselves all season long, at what point will the Suns shake off the hangover, the finals hangover? They sort of did it in the second half of their last ball game, but also the Pelicans are really, really bad. DeAndre Ayton, questionable as we record right now. If he doesn't play, get JaVale McGee in there for a night. Let him get you 12 points, 7 boards, and 3 blocks in 20 minutes and call it a day. For Houston, do I have the confidence to start a guy like Jayshon Tate? Mm, probably. At some point, they're just going to have to cut him loose a little bit. This back and forth of starters minutes and then like 15 minutes is... Really unnerving, because he's been quite good in the games he's played starters minutes, and I get it, the reason he didn't get him in the other games is because he wasn't playing all that well, but also, you gotta give a guy a chance to sort of, to mess up a few times, and you're gonna get blown out often, Rockets, so don't worry too much about sustaining your starters minutes over the long haul here, just let him go. And then the Thunder are in L.A., Revenge game for the Lakers? They just lost to the Thunder. They blew a massive 20-plus point lead. I'm sure OKC is going to come in and have their, their game face on, although they played the Clippers. They've been hanging out in L.A. for a while right now. This sometimes augurs poorly, especially when you got kind of a younger, undisciplined team. and The regular season doesn't mean all that much. You guys catch my meaning. Uh, OKC is the same story every game. You're just watching to see if Shea and Giddy can give you a fantasy-positive performance. And with the Lakers... The Stars, Russell starting to settle in a little bit. He's got all those same issues. Defensively is where they got to figure this thing out. And then Carmelo Anthony. From a homework standpoint, Detroit and Houston are kind of the two teams where there are a few dangling question marks at this point. Probably more so on the Rockets than the Pistons. Philly is all about streaming here. Not really what I'd call dangling question marks. It's just, you know, how much energy do you want to invest in however many teams you're running to pick up and drop different guys on those rosters. And if you're if you're going full bore like that, then Philly does have some options on the table for you. Fire it up. Tomorrow, we will wrap up 36 shows in 36 days. And I'll tell you, to quote the great Tommy Lee Jones at the end of The Fugitive, you know, I'm glad. I need a rest.
I need a weekend. And that's coming up, an actual weekend. After tomorrow's show, we will talk to you again on Monday after that. First time I'll be able to say that in quite some time. Uh, 35 out of 36 done. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. I am Dan Vespers. This was Fantasy NBA Today. Talk to you tomorrow for the last time in three days. (laughs) So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.